This presentation by Kimberly Hahn, called Mary Shows the Way, will only be available until Monday, October 23rd. Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Good morning again, everyone. God continues to bless us. So if you can all take a seat, we'll continue this wonderful anointed weekend. My name is Donna Ross. I am your coordinator of the Central Service team. And we are going to uh, be blessed here this morning with some wonderful speakers. Uh, I'm going to start by introducing our first speaker here this morning, Kimberly Hahn. It seems like in the Catholic circles, Kimberly and Scott Hahn are kind of like household words. (laughs) So Kimberly has been married to Scott since 1979. They met at the Grove City College. And while Scott studied to be a pastor, Kimberly earned a Master of Arts in Theological Studies at the same school, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, graduating in May of 1982 with magna cum laude. They have six children. Three are married with 21 grandchildren. And I have a feeling there'll be more. (laughs) Kimberly became a Catholic at the Easter Vigil of 1990 in Joliet, Illinois. After a difficult, you know, it was a, I'm going to repeat, a difficult struggle during the four years following Scott's entrance into the Catholic Church. Can you only imagine? And I have to believe some of you do. Kimberly homeschooled her children for 26 years. That's, again, a special, yes, God bless her, okay? In 2001, she co-founded the St. Paul Center with Scott and Mike Aquila, and it's become one of the fastest-growing apostolates in America. I'm going to wrap up her intro with a scripture that I thought was so appropriate, knowing her life, uh, as we're going to know more. But it's, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts, Isaiah 55. So how does modeling Mary's humility, trust, and obedience show us the way to counteract comparison, competition, confusion, chaos? Well, in other words, everything, right, in our daily lives and within our chapters, Well, Kimberly is going to talk to us this morning how Mary shows the way. Kimberly. Spirit of God. 
It's such a joy to be with you all today. And I, I have great anticipation of all that the Lord is going to do in your midst. And I'm sorry that I can't stay longer than my talk, but I'm getting ready for all six children and all 21 grandchildren and all three in-laws to be gathering in Steubenville for tomorrow is the, the beginning of that. So I have a lot on my mother and grandmother's heart uh, that I need to get. But that's, you know, that is life. We come and we get inspired and then we go back into the trenches and we begin working again, right? Loving those near us, loving those who nobody loves and reaching out, reaching out. I was driving with my then seven-year-old, my youngest, he's now 24, and we were driving up Sunset Boulevard where an old car dealership had been and they were beginning to dismantle it, and there was a big sign that said, coming soon, and there was a, a new business going in. And I really wasn't asking him his thought, but I said, isn't it exciting? There's, there's like a little architect in my heart that just thrills with new buildings. And he said, it's very sad. <laughs> and I said, sad? Why is it sad? And I'm not kidding you. I wrote it down so I would get it accurately. He said, my children will never know the town of my youth. <laughs> I said, you're seven years old. The town of your youth is still being built. <laughs> I think that's when I discovered he was really a melancholic. <laughs> you know, what seven-year-old boy is thinking about his, what he's going to tell his children? But there is a way in which we feel that way sometimes about the church. With our children and our grandchildren, will our grandbabies ever know the church of my youth? And I do think that part of the, the message this weekend is the church is still being built. It is still being built. We are the living stones, and our children and grandchildren need to be pointed beyond this world to the next. As my husband says, we're here to get out of here. <laughs> and I believe that even now, 2,000 years later, Mary shows us the way. And so I want to walk through different principles of discipleship that I have now been able to observe in Mary, but it wasn't always my perspective. And I'm going to keep it brief. We share a lot in Rome's sweet home, our journey to Catholicism. But of all of the obstacles that I observed on this journey into the Catholic Church, there was nothing that loomed bigger than Mary. She, to me, at the time, represented diversion from true devotion to the Lord to something made of marble or ceramic, plastic. She was the box that held the present. And, you know, sometimes you'll give children a gift at Christmas and they're enamored with the box and they're kind of crawling in and out of it and you're like, okay, get to the toy. It's like, to me, Mary was the box. Depending on what Catholic friend I spoke to, it seemed like the titles that were being mentioned alongside her name, like Queen of Heaven and Mother of God, just seemed to put her on par with the divinity. And I didn't know how to reconcile the love I had with, for Jesus that I shared with my Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ with the antagonism I felt toward his mother. Until Scott challenged me, I didn't even realize how completely I had excluded her from my life. I had never heard a sermon on her, and my father's a pastor, my uncle's a pastor, both my brothers are pastors, and my husband was a pastor. I never heard a sermon on Mary, ever. Not even as model disciple. 
And Protestants maybe said so little about her because they were thinking they're going to balance what Catholics say. Now, the mother of my friends always mattered to me. The mother of my husband always mattered to me. How could the mother of Jesus be so utterly insignificant to me as a Protestant Christian? So I began to examine the scriptures describing Mary's words and actions. And I want to share some of those thoughts. What I came to as a realization, and I'm sure most, if not all of you have, is the fact that she herself actually is also a gift. She isn't just the packaging Jesus came in. She's a gift to us as a holy mother, a heroic mother, who teaches us through her joys and sufferings how to be a disciple of Jesus, how to walk alongside him. And if you're not Catholic and you're wondering, is this only a message for Catholics? I want to be clear. Mary is your spiritual mother, whether or not you acknowledge her. She is your spiritual mother. She does care for you. She does love you. And it's important that you know what she has done, what her yes means, because otherwise you would not have a savior. You would not have a redeemer. So I hope my words will give a better understanding no matter where you are in Christian faith. Mary embraces the call of discipleship. And I want to walk through the Annunciation and the Visitation to point out specific ways. And these are ways we can imitate. Yes, we will imitate them poorly at times. When we're struggling to find a parking space in the rain and can't find the exit for the hotel. Not that that ever happens to anyone here. So if you have your Bibles, and some of you do, I hope you'll get them out and look at Luke 1. And we're going to walk through these two passages. We begin in verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, the sixth month from what? from Elizabeth's miraculous conception. That was recorded earlier in in that first chapter of Luke. So first principle, a disciple prayerfully listens for the voice of God. Verse 28, and this is the angel. He came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Now, hail is more than just hey there or hi. In the Greek, it actually means rejoice. And Mary knew the scriptures. It probably alerted her that some incredibly wonderful news was about to be shared. That same word is used in the Septuagint in Zechariah 3, 14, and 15. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cast out your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear evil no more. Rejoice. Hail. And then instead of greeting Mary by name, he greets her full of grace. In the Greek, I practice and practice this. I didn't get it right. Kakaratomene. Kakaratomene. It's the only place in sacred scripture where an angel greets someone not by name, but by title. 
The angel Gabriel recognizes that God has already filled her with grace, the pleroma of grace, to prepare her to be the mother of the God-man, to make her the example of holiness for other disciples. To translate it as highly favored is to miss the mark. Now, we know that she's highly favored, but it is much more significant than that. She is full of grace, full of God's own divine life. And when the angel says, the Lord is with you, that is a declaration used in the Old Testament a couple of other times when an angel was about to give someone a critical mission. The Lord is with you. And that's why the very next verse records her first response. She was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. Greatly troubled. You know, sometimes we think of angels as little tiny fat cherubs that are, you know, like Cupid sending out their little arrows, but we need to think of them as they truly are. They are magnificent creatures. They are warriors in the kingdom of God. And this angel is appearing her and about to tell her an incredible mission. So a disciple, you and I may not fully understand what God calls us to. Full understanding is not what he requires, right? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Fear is an understandable response, and the angel doesn't rebuke her for being afraid. He just says, don't be afraid. Now, the angel had said the same thing to Zechariah when he saw the angel and was afraid, just before he received his mission of being the father of John the Baptist, the precursor of the Messiah. The angel also said the same to Joseph, to not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. So verse 31 and 32, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The mission is you are the chosen one. You are the one who will conceive and bear the Messiah longed for. She knows Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel. She knows Emmanuel means God with us. And so the angel tells Mary the name Jesus, which means God saves. You imagine she is the first person ever in this world to utter the sacred name of Jesus. Don't you wonder how many times she said his name? You know, when you know what you're expecting and you have a name, you just love to touch your tummy and say, you know, this is your mommy. And you use the name. Mary would have used the name. The angel also tells Joseph, probably the second person ever, to utter the sacred name. And later in Luke 2, 21, we read, and at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
This is the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to King David in 2 Samuel 7, 11 to 13 and verse 16, quote, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established established forever, end quote. Mary is the fulfillment of the body of King David bringing forth a Messiah. A disciple discerns God's will. Does what I think I'm being called to square with the word of God? Verse 34, and the angel said, I'm sorry, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I have no husband? Now, Mary is not unbelieving, When Zechariah responds to the news of the mission, he doubts. This can't happen. My wife's barren. And he's struck dumb because he does not believe. But Mary's response is not one of unbelief, but of wonder. I have no husband actually speaks more to her virginal than her marital status. She intends that virginity. We believe that she and St. Joseph intended to maintain that virginal status even after marriage. Otherwise, she would have said, when will this be? I'm not due to get married in three months. Is it in three months? Is it in six months? Is it in a year? But her question is not when. It is, how shall this be? Verse 35, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The angel reveals the triune God to Mary. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come on her. The power of the Most High, the Holy God, the Father, will overshadow her. And the child she will conceive will be Holy, the Son of God and the son of Mary. The catechism says, quote, by the Holy Spirit's power and her faith, her virginity becomes uniquely fruitful, end quote. This is one of those beautiful ways in which our Lord provides Mary as the model disciple for those who continue in virginity and for those who are in the vocation of marriage. This reminds Mary of the Holy Spirit hovering over creation in Genesis 1. And the same Greek word of overshadowing here is used in Exodus 40.35 when the Lord's presence overshadowed the tabernacle, filling it with his glory. Likewise, the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary. So she conceives by the Holy Spirit, the Holy One of Israel. Her place is the first place where he tabernacles with us. And she becomes a living tabernacle. Then the angel Gabriel informs Mary of another miracle. Verse 36, behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Oh, how we need to believe that, brothers and sisters in Christ. The catechism says Mary believed that nothing was impossible for God. She had deep lively faith. She heard God's word. She struggled to grasp God's mysterious ways, yet she yielded profoundly. 
So to be a disciple is not to have complete understanding. It is to respond. I will do your will. Verse 37, and Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mission accomplished. The catechism says, quoting St. Irenaeus, quote, being obedient, she became the cause of salvation for herself and for the whole human race. Hence, not a few of the early church fathers gladly assert, quote, the knot of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. What the virgin Eve bound through her disbelief, Mary loosened by her faith, end quote. And further, in 2617, quote, she whom the Almighty made full of grace responds by offering her whole being, fiat. This is Christian prayer, to be holy gods because he is holy ours, end quote. And so we come up to the visitation because a disciple is eager to share the good news, right? It's too good to keep within us. I think there was a little visitation. I think she went to St. Joseph, and I would love to unpack that more because I believe that he went along with her as protector. And the last time we were in Israel recently, uh, one of the um, Israelite Christians told us that they have always held after Mary came um, to, to greet Elizabeth. He was there and Zechariah were there to witness the, the initial greeting between the two of them. And then for those three months, he went and lived at the temple to prepare himself to be the father of the Messiah. that beautiful? That is centuries and centuries of tradition. So Mary shares the good news with Joseph, the little visitation, and Joseph is unsure what to do with the news. And when the angel clarifies this is God's call, that he will raise the Son of God as his own Son. He fully embraces God's will. In verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a city of Judah. Mary leaves immediately, probably maximum two weeks pregnant, and she wants to go see Elizabeth. She goes with haste. She's eager to bring Jesus to others and to share Elizabeth's joy. Can you imagine can you imagine? The first time that uh, we were in Israel ever, um, I was recovering from a miscarriage, and I won't go through all the details, but it was our third miscarriage, and I was just really struggling with that. And the Lord met me in a profound way there and really healed my heart and prepared me. I did not know I was already pregnant with my Joseph. But after I got back, I realized I was as pregnant as Mary when we went to Ein Cream. I was two weeks. And the next time we went, I was, I was six months pregnant with my David. And as I trudged up the hill, <laughs> and it's a long winding hill if any of you have been there, I thought, I bet Elizabeth was glad, not just for the company, but for the help <laughs> that Mary could go to town for her because six months pregnant going up and down that hill would be quite an adventure. So yes, I've been as pregnant as Elizabeth and as pregnant as Mary in that place where they greeted one another. Pope Benedict XVI says this, quote, we have come to the truest meaning and the most genuine purpose of every missionary journey, to give people the living and personal gospel, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, unquote. So we begin to see some beautiful comparisons between the Ark of the Covenant 
and Mary as the new Ark of the Covenant. It says she arose and went, and those are the same verbs to describe King David going to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obedidim, who lived in the hill country of Judea in 2 Samuel 6. So Mary comes to the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah, who happen to live in the hill country of Judea. And there are other comparisons I'll make in a moment. Verses 40 and 42. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Sorry, she didn't use the word Jesus. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Exclaimed is only used three times that I could find. In the, in the New Testament, it's only used here. In the Old Testament, they are passages specifically referring to the Ark of the Covenant. In 1 Chronicles 15, 28, it says, when the Ark of the Covenant is returning from Philistine capture to Jerusalem, the Levites who lead in the worship of God through song and instruments exclaim praise to God. And when Solomon, in 2 Chronicles 5, 13, and 14 when Solomon transfers the Ark of the Covenant from the city of David to the new temple in Jerusalem, the people exclaim praise to God. So Elizabeth greets Mary with the same words, also spoken by two heroic women in the Old Testament. And and they're really interesting references because when we think of Mary These are not the women we think of first and foremost. And I'll I'll read the quotes, and I'll explain why. In Judges 5, 24 and 26, we read, Blessed of women, be Jael, the wife of Eber the Kenite, a tent-dwelling woman most blessed. Why is she most blessed? He, this is Sisera, the general of the Philistine troops that had been attacking the Israelites, he asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a lordly bowl. She put her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera a blow. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. End quote. Okay. And of Judith. Judith 13, 18 and 19. After she cuts off the head of the enemy's general in his private tent and brings it back to the Israelites, they say, quote, O daughter, you are blessed of the Most High above all women on earth. And blessed be the Lord God who created the heavens and earth, who's guided you to strike the head of the leader of our enemies. Your hope will never depart from the hearts of men as they remember the power of God, end quote. So when we are talking about Mary, yes, meek and humble, we need to remember she is also the warrior maiden. And she will crush Satan under her feet. Elizabeth and Mary are both very aware of Genesis 3.15, which is both a curse on on the serpent and a prophecy of salvation through a woman. Quote, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and her your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, end quote. Mary's victory will be far greater than anything done by Jael or Judith because she is God's instrument. 
Later, when Jesus is teaching in Luke 11, 27 to 28, he uh, it's quoting, um, Luke is quoting, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that you sucked. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, that's a passage that I misunderstood and thought probably he was trying to say, my mother is of no consequence. All that's important is you all believing my word and acting on it. I obviously don't believe that anymore. I think what he was trying to say is, absolutely, she is blessed to have borne me. But realize her greatness lies in her yes. And that is something you can imitate. That is something you can do. So a disciple offers himself or herself as a living sacrifice. Before Jesus ever said, this is my body given for you, Mary said, this is my body given for you, Jesus. Mary gave herself completely and utterly, loving the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her strength, with all her soul. And Elizabeth continues in verse 43, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So baby Jesus is probably only about two weeks along. Elizabeth recognizes Mary as mother of the Messiah. And it echoes, again, the Ark of the Covenant. 2 Samuel 6.9, King David says, How can the Ark of the Covenant come to me? It's the exact same wording. Like King David, Elizabeth is awestruck at this great blessing. The catechism called in the Gospels the mother of Jesus. Mary is acclaimed by Elizabeth at the prompting of the Spirit and even before the birth of her son as the mother of my Lord. In fact, the one whom she conceived as man by the Holy Spirit who truly became her son according to the flesh was none other than the Father's eternal son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Hence, the church confesses that Mary is truly the mother of God, not the creator of God. But it's one person. She is truly his mother. Therefore, you can say she is the mother of God. Then Elizabeth says in 44, quote, For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. So John, filled with the Holy Spirit, leaps for joy in the presence of his Lord. And the exact same word in the Septuagint describes Mary, Le uh, sorry, David, leaping and dancing before the Ark of the Covenant as it comes into Jerusalem. The exact same word. In 2 Samuel 6, 14 and 16, it says, quote, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. As the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. So a disciple not only knows the word of God, and many of us know it, but a disciple believes the word of God. It's not enough to just know it. We have to act on it. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth affirms Mary's faith to believe God's word and to act. I don't really have time to go over, but on your own, I would really recommend that you read 1 Samuel 2, 1 to 10. That is um, 
the beautiful Magnificat written by Hannah when she conceives Samuel. And there are so many beautiful comparisons between her Magnificat and Mary's. Verse 46 and 47, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. Yes, Mary acknowledges God as her Savior. She was saved. She needed a Redeemer. The difference is that the Lord redeemed her at the moment of her conception. But she is utterly dependent upon the grace of God. And so should we be. She responds to those graces that she's been given from the beginning. And I, I just think this is such a profound thought. She is the only mother whose son created her. Wow. Yeah, you could just think about that all day. <laughs> I can sit down. Done. <laughs> Mary echoes Psalm 34, 1 to 3, quote, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. A faithful and faith-filled disciple will impact generations to come. Verse 48, for he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed, end quote. Mary praises the Lord for what he has done through her. And she's at the apex of salvation history. You know, Galatians 4.4 says, but when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We stand, you and I, in the stream of salvation history, and God's work is ongoing. We look forward to not only seeing what God does in us, but also through us, disciple to disciple. In all humility, Mary acknowledges God's work in and through her. I used to think, well, of course she was blessed. She got to bear the Son of God, duh, you know. But it's far greater than that. She is blessed, truly set apart, uniquely exalted. And as one of those future generations, we need to acknowledge her. I, I went to confession, which I will not discuss, um, <laughs> on Good Friday. And as I, as I stood in line, I just had a conviction that I needed to share more about Mary, that I... I've come to a deep conviction about these wonderful truths, and I've shared here and there, but I just really felt like I, I'm not saying enough about her to others. And so on the way home, I happened to, to call my brother, uh, who's a pastor, and, uh, and I said, you know, I, I, in response to going to confession, and yes, I went to confession today, and no, I won't tell you what I talked about, um, I said, I need to share more about Mary, so can I just tell you more about Mary? And he was like, Okay. I think he was in the middle of his sermon prep, and I know I was interrupting, but God just gave us a few grace-filled moments, and, I, and so we need to talk about her. We need to talk about her, because future generations are supposed to call her blessed, and they will only be able to do that if you and I share about her. Okay. Um, though God's work in our lives will never have the impact hers did and does, God's work in and through us is affecting other generations after us, okay? A disciple lives gratitude for God's mercy, 
49 and 50. For she, quote, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation, end quote. Mary expresses deep gratitude to God for what he has done. Do we take a moment? Can you find a moment today to just fill your heart with thanksgiving for all of the incredible things that God has done in your heart, in your life, in your relationships, in your marriage? Psalm 77, 11 to 14, quote, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. Yea, I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate on all thy work and muse on thy mighty deeds. Thy way, O God, is all holy. What God is like our God? Thou art the God who workest wonders, who's manifested thy might among the peoples. And Psalm 98, verse 1, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Do we take that moment to just dwell in gratitude for all that he has done? And then a witness. We need to give a witness to God's work in our hearts and lives. We respond to grace. We're not taking credit for it. We're saying this is what God has done in my heart and mind. Um, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. Okay, on to verse... 54 and 55, quote, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his posterity forever. Mary recalls God's promises and knows that he is fulfilling them. We need to recall God's promises and recognize his fulfillment of those. Micah 7.20, quote, Thou wilt show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as thou hast sworn to our fathers from the days of old, end quote. That's why the catechism uh, in the Canticle of Mary says, The song of the daughter of Zion and of the new people of God is a song of thanksgiving for the fullness of graces poured out in the economy of salvation. Okay, and then verse 56, Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. So Mary stays long enough to serve her. She's there when the baby is born. She's eager to serve. Again, focus is not on her. How do I feel? Do I have nausea? (laughs) Do I really want to do that walk all the way down the hill? She was happy to serve. Mary Elizabeth was happy to have the help. And then Do you know how long the Ark of the Covenant remained in the home of Obedidim? Three months. Three months. Another comparison. So Mary, the living Ark of the Covenant, remained three months in the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then a disciple intercedes on behalf of others. If we jump to the wedding feast at Cana, Mary becomes keenly aware that the, the family is running out of wine And when she approaches Jesus and says they have no wine, his comment can strike us as odd. He says, oh woman, what do you have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, we have a tendency to hear things in our own time and culture. And as a put down, at least when I was in high school, if I said something a friend of mine, a male friend of mine didn't care for, he'd go, woman, what are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> and, he'd, and he'd react, and I've heard, I've heard people say this in sermons, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, I'm distancing myself. I'm not even going to call you mother. You're just, you're a woman. But it is completely misunderstanding the reference. 
because at this wedding feast, it is hearkening back to Genesis and the original woman and the original man. And he is saying, do you realize that if I act in this miraculous way, I am beginning something that you and I both know how it's going to end. And without another word, and by the way, there is no other recorded word of Mary's in sacred scripture after this point. She turns to the servants and say, says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever she tells you, he tells you. And so she's giving consent. And I wish there was more time to walk you through all of that. I think my beloved husband will probably do that. How do we genuinely honor Mary? By following her example. She heard the word of God. She believed the word of God. She acted on the word of God. And then she became, became a missionary disciple. She took Jesus to others. And she tells us, do whatever he tells you. And so we need to say that to one another. We honor her by honoring her son and being faithful and faithful disciples. Let me close in a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Most gracious Lord, we thank you for this incredible gift of your blessed mother. We thank you for your work in her and through her. We thank you for Jesus. And we ask, oh God, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to believe your word and that we will be faithful and faith-filled disciples. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And Mary, we ask for your prayers. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. God bless you. for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.